following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. passage for today's sermon is the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter through the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane while listen to him. Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. How are we doing? Amen. Amen. So um, it's a text that that is um, very, very comforting to me uh, for a lot of different reasons. One is because I'm a pastor. And so um, as a pastor, the word pastor, if you if you if you don't know the the actual meaning of the word, the word pastor itself means shepherd. It means it means shepherd. It means a one who gives care to to sheep. Right. And so, um, in some ways, this is like one of, for me, this is one of the, one of the core identities that I that I possess as a as a as a human as a man that that mimics my Savior. All right, it's one of the core identities that I possess that I should be um, looking to my Savior's example to understand how should I then live, right? How should I then pastor? So, so when, when, what I mean is that when I look at Jesus, I understand, I understand better what it means to shepherd as one who is called to be his under-shepherd to his sheep, okay? So this is a really, really, really important text uh, for me because I, because I get indicators as to 
how I should love y'all, if that makes sense. First Peter chapter 5 says that, um, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, the pastors, the leaders, the shepherds among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that you have. You, you know, not shepherding the flocks of God that exist all across the world. That's why membership is important. Does that make sense? You know, membership is important because it helps me understand who I'm pastoring, right? And that's one of the, there's many reasons why it's important. But one of the reasons that it's important is because it, it helps me understand who I'm pastoring. I've had, I've had occasions in life as a, as a young pastor where, where you got people that literally have not dotted the doors of the church in, in like a year. And, 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 and then, you know, you'll see them on Facebook saying like, hey, yeah, man, you know, um, that was a great service today, man. My pastor preached a really great message. I'm like, whoa, man, you know, I'm not watching. I'm not watching over your soul. I don't, I don't know what you're doing, right? I, and, so, and so membership helps me, helps me as a pastor say, okay, these are the people that I'm supposed to be exercising oversight and, and, and caring for. And these are the people that, that when I get to heaven, because the Bible says that, that, that God will give an account, that I have to give an account, rather, for those that I've been entrusted to care for and watch over their souls. So, so, so when I get to heaven, God's going to be like, okay, wait, all right, Crawford, you know, what about, what about, Member A, member B, member C, these people that, that you were entrusted to, how, how, how did you love them, right? And so, and so that's why we treat membership so serious here. That's why if, you, if you've ever wondered, why do you have a sit down where, where we have a chat where each member or each prospective member that wants to join this church has a chat with the elders? Why is that important? Well, number one, because I think you want to know who's leading you, right? So that's important. Who, know, who knows who could be leading you, right? So it's important to get that, get that discussion out of the way. But it's also important for you to understand that we, we, are, we are serious about shepherding you. And one of the reasons that we're serious about shepherding you is because of texts like these. Peter says, not only to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so there it is. I'm a shepherd, but I'm, I'm not the shepherd, right? I'm an under-shepherd. And there's a chief shepherd who will at the end, when this is all said and done, grade me. And so I treat this call seriously. And when, and when, and when there are examples for me to, to emulate that chief shepherd, I want to pay attention to them. But it's also encouraging for you, not just because it's teaching you what shepherds should look like, which it is, and that's important for you, but it's also teaching you what your shepherd is doing for you, all right? So we're going to spend two weeks on this text. We're going to spend two weeks on this text. The first, the first week, this week, we're just going to cover five verses, and then next week we're going to conclude with the rest of it. But I just want to spend time just focusing in on these first five, really six verses, if you will, because, they, because, because, because all of this is, is, is important, and I want, to spend this, I, want to, I want to treat it well. I want to treat it well. So this text is coming right on the heels of chapter 9, where this, the healing of this man who was born blind and the testimonies that led to that, to, to that man being kicked out of the synagogue for worship have just transpired, right? 
And, this, and, and sometimes people want to divide these texts, but, but re- remember, we've learned, if you've been here with us and you've journeyed with us, we've learned that chapter and verse divisions came about 15, 1600 years after the book was written, all right? And so really, you shouldn't even look at this as a chapter and verse division. You should just look at this as a continuation of the story. In fact, we, we, we know that it's a continuation of the story for a few reasons, all right? One reason is that when you look at verse 19, it says this. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So this is a conversation that is ongoing since chapter 9 when he first healed the blind man. Does that make sense? And now, they're, and now they're discussing it as, it as he's continued and concluded. Now they're discussing it. They're saying, well, wait a minute. He can't have a demon because he just healed that blind guy. So we know this, this is a continuation, okay? However, we also have to consider the fact that literally there's no pause and there's no breaks like we talked about. There's no pause, no breaks that exist between the conversation at the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. He, he, he talks, he's talking to the Pharisees at the end of chapter 9. And he, and there is no interruption, there is no stop, there is no after that, verse 1 of chapter 10, and then Jesus said, there's none of that, it's just a continuation of the same conversation. When he moves into verse 1, it says, truly, truly, I say to you. And so this probably was a break, to be honest with you, that the 15th, 16th century guys, if they had to do it over, they might have taken a break somewhere around verse 22. Does that make sense? So... The thieves and the robbers in this text, because he immediately in verse 1 starts talking about thieves and robbers. Who are they? The thieves and the robbers in this text are the men in chapter 9, exploiting the weak, exploiting the hurting. People like the blind men. Those are the thieves and robbers that Jesus is talking to. The people that he said basically are still blind because they keep saying we see when we know they really don't see him. The language, though, that's being spoken, it's a language, this this ideal of shepherds and thieves and robbers or, or good shepherds and bad shepherds. This is language that's very familiar to the Old Testament. If you've read the Old Testament, you've seen similar language, and especially you've seen this language in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a passage about good shepherding and bad shepherding. Matter of fact, let's turn there for a second. I want you guys to turn there and look at it with your own eyes as I read verses 1 through 8. But Ezekiel chapter 34, somewhere in the middle part of that Old Testament, because it's actually one of the major prophets that you'll you'll come across. And so Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 8, this is what it says. We'll start with verses 1 through 8. But we're going to actually, if you don't mind, just put your finger in John chapter 10, because we're going to flip back to Ezekiel chapter 4, back and forth this morning. All right? Because this is a very important parallel to this text. So Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 8, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. 
The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep themselves, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. See, the same problem that existed in the Old Testament in this text, Ezekiel 34, sheep that or shepherds that are basically uh, exploiting the sheep, using the sheep for their own purposes rather than feeding them as good shepherds would, starving them, desecrating them, scattering them. See, the same problem that existed in the Old Testament where God was speaking here in Ezekiel 34 existed in the New Testament in John chapter 10. It's the same problem. But not only, not only did that problem exist in the Old Testament and that problem existed in the New Testament, but that problem also exists today. It's the same problem. It's always, it's always existed. In fact, where faith exists, listen to me, where faith itself exists, there will always be religious imposters seeking to get into the pen of the sheep through back doors. It's one of the reasons why Christianity ends up getting bad raps from the, from, from, the, from, the, from the surrounding world. Does that make sense? Because the surrounding world looks at the faith and they see not just the honest Christians that are struggling and wrestling with the faith and just walking by God's grace, trying their best to make it through, but they see those folks and they see the religious imposters in the pen as well, and they associate the whole kick caboodle with Christianity. Are you tracking with that? Where faith exists, there will always be until Christ comes back and sets this thing right and separates the tear from the wheat. As long as we are walking out our faith, there will be religious postures in the sheep's pen. This is not going anywhere. And when it talks about illegal entry, it means that, that, that when evaluating self-proclaimed pastors and preachers or even prophets, we should evaluate them on their consistency with the gospel, both in word and in character. See, if, there, if there's no consistency with the gospel, both in word and character, then they are illegally entering into the pen to lead God's people, God's sheep. The further away such a leader strays from gospel word and gospel character, the more likely they should be considered thieves and robbers, or at least suspicious of being thieves and robbers. Does that make sense? The common thread running through these leaders, take, for example, 1970s with Jim Jones. Anybody remember the, the tragic story of Jim Jones in Jonestown? Take, for example, 1990 and David Koresh, the cult leader who ultimately him and several others were, were killed in a shootout in Waco, Texas. The thread even running through Islamic terrorists, if you will, ISIS. 
is the same thread. It's a veering away from the single gate. It's a veering away from the gate into the back doors. It's a steering away from the gospel and taking, opposite, and taking other entries in. Sometimes that, sometimes that veering away is very slow. Sometimes it's rapid, but nevertheless, it's always there. And that's what's in common whenever you see thieves and robbers in God's sheep's pen. Does that make sense? Today's preacher even, to a, single, to, to a lesser state, who've equated, for example, biblical faithfulness to wholesale political partisanship or biblical favor to unattainable assurances of health and wealth. The common thread running through all these leaders is, is, is a leadership that is inconsistent with God's word and God, or the gospel word and gospel character. That's what's in common. Some to a lesser degree, some to a greater degree, but it's always in common. And the effects and the impacts are the same. Some to a lesser degree, some to a greater degree, but they're always there. Sheep being manipulated, sheep being fleeced, sheep being destroyed for the gain and the promotion of those that claim to lead them. Faith that's being twisted around to serve the purposes of the people that are leading rather than the purposes of God and the people that they've been entrusted to lead. The further away from the gospel that one journeys from gospel word and gospel character, the more dangerous to the sheep they become. Thieves and robbers. It's not just simply that they're sneaky, but they are also disruptive and destructive. When we think about these particular men who Jesus is speaking with right now, we see that they truly embody this characterization. Think about chapter 9. In chapter 9, a man has been blind since birth. He has been begging on the streets daily for bread and for food. And no one has paid attention to this man, including the leaders, until the man gets healed. And then when the man gets healed, everybody says, with the leaders in particular, well, wait a second now, we got to figure out if this was legal. This was, this was, he got healed on the Sabbath. Nobody has thought about this man. And on the first day that the man gets healed, he's put out of the synagogue by the leaders who are supposed to be shepherding and loving him. because he refuses to denounce that Jesus was the source of his healing. He's put out of the synagogue because that healing, no matter how compassionate, no matter how loving it was, did not fit the interests of the robbers and the thieves that were in the sheep's pen. You understand that? It's these kind of examples of religious leadership that skeptics and atheists and, and doubters leap on to demonstrate what is so wrong about religion and what's so wrong about the Christian faith in particular. And they're right to uncover this kind of destructive leadership. That's why I don't get mad at them, right? They're, they're right to call out that kind of hypocrisy. When that happens, the only thing I say is, hey, bro, that's not real Christianity. So don't, 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 don't equate the two. But carry on. 
<laughs> you know, you know, carry on. Whatever, whatever criticisms you have for it, continue. But just understand that that's not Christianity. God does not consider such leadership a part of the faith. And thankfully, God doesn't leave us in the hands of such men. He gives us a better way with a better shepherd. He gives us a better way with a better shepherd. And so Jesus turns his attention away from the robbers that were in John chapter 10, verse 1, to the true shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 2. So flip back over. And like I said, keep your finger in Ezekiel because we're coming back. I'll put that fancy little Bible ribbon that some of you guys have. Put that right in Ezekiel 34 because we're coming back. So we turn, the, we, 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 we read in John chapter 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. And so there's one that's trying to enter in illegally, but there is one that is also entering in exactly the way he's supposed to. And that's the one that the sheep should give attention to. That's the one that's going to cover the sheep. That's the one who has the sheep's best interest in mind. So flip back to Ezekiel 34 again. Told you it wasn't going to be long. Verse 9, it says in chapter 34, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong, I will destroy, I will feed them in justice. Pay attention to that text. There's a few things that jump off the page that are right in line with John chapter 10. First is the ownership that God takes. God is laying a special claim now to the sheep. I will require my sheep at their hand. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will seek out my sheep and rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. I will feed them with good pasture. I will be the shepherd of my sheep. As God looks upon the thieves and the robbers who are constantly fleecing the sheep, constantly taking advantage of the sheep, he declares enough is enough and takes it upon himself to shepherd his people himself. 
Notice the personal language that God, that God is using as he declares his intention. I will require, I will rescue, I myself will search, I will seek them out, I will rescue them, I will feed them, I will shepherd them. So when we read John chapter 10, verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens, we should see and feel the weight in the, the weight of the reality that the ultimate fulfillment of such a text like that, John chapter 10, is the fulfillment of God's promises back in Ezekiel 34 when he says, I'm coming and I'm going to shepherd them because everybody else can't get it right. So I'm going to do it. That we should see and feel the ultimate and, and final fulfillment of God's promises to become the personal shepherd of his sheep. We should see that in Jesus. The son enters through the door, and as we will discuss more, uh, more of on next week, the son literally is the door. He describes himself in this text as the door. But he enters in through the door. He is not, he is not simply an answer to the thieves and robbers, but rather he is the only answer to the thieves and robbers. And he is not simply an appointed shepherd by God the Father. He is literally the only shepherd appointed by God the Father. The point is further clarified when you look at Ezekiel 34 and then you look at verse 22 and 24, 22 through 24, and it says this. It says, I will rescue my flock. He's still talking about rescuing his sheep, right? But listen to this. No, they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd. And who's that shepherd? God. He says, the servant David, and he shall feed them. David. King David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. God the Father is saying, I'm going to be their shepherd by appointing them one shepherd of my own choosing to rule and to govern them all. And that one shepherd is my servant, David. But the mystery of that statement, of course, is, is that David's been dead for four centuries when Ezekiel writes and says that. So who is Ezekiel talking about? What does he mean? Or, more, more, or, or even more specific, what does God mean? Well, God is speaking of David's lineage. In other words, a son of David, or to be more specific, the son of David. Not necessarily David himself. As a matter of fact, if you've been reading along in your Bible reading plan with us, you know that the week before last, we read through, we, we finished up our reading through Matthew. And if you notice in Matthew, there are several occasions in which Jesus is called what? Son of David. It was David himself, for all my Sunday school scholars that grew up in Sunday school, you remember this. It was David himself who wrote in Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So it is not David himself who we look to, but the one that David was promised would follow him. Does that make sense? Even David is saying, God, I need a shepherd too. 
right? And so it's not David, but it is the son that comes from the lineage of David. And that son is the one who's speaking in John chapter 10. That son is Jesus Christ. Christ is the personal shepherd God the Father has appointed to save the sheep. Listen to me. He is the personal shepherd. God says, listen, everything, everybody else is doing this wrong. I'm coming down to do it. I'm literally coming down to do this myself. Since the love at work for God, for, I mean, since the love that God has at work for his sheep, for you, in which he says, I will no longer allow robbers and thieves to have their way with mine. I'm coming down to accomplish the work myself. But not only is there ownership, there's also sovereignty in this text. Not only does God demonstrate a personal ownership in leading his sheep, there is a sentiment bubbling out of the text that appears to reflect that God's sheep are God's sheep before they even know they're his sheep. Again, we see the language throughout Ezekiel 34. He says, I'm rescuing my sheep. I will seek out my sheep. And again, we see the parallel in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, verse 3, it says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The middle picture that we should paint here is a sheep pen, right? A large sheep pen, but it's not a family sheep pen more than likely, okay? It's more of an industrial shared sheep pen. And there's a large sheep pen with sheep of all, all different types of, in terms of ownership. There's different people that own, you know, uh, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Clark sheep pen, right? Matt and his family, they own, they own some sheep in that bunch, okay? And then there's a Crawford sheep pen. We got a few sheep in there, okay? And then, and then, and then Jesus is saying, but, 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 but there is also some sheep in there that belong to me. And when I call for those sheep, because the rest of us, you know, Matt, Matt and Brian, you know, when, when, we, when we get our sheep, we're going to have to gather them in and herd them. It's probably going to take all day, right? It's a tough effort because sheep aren't paying attention to us, you know? And so we're going to have to say, wait a second, is that mine? Okay, that's mine. Let, let's get that one. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come back, come back. That's mine. Okay, and we're, and we're going to spend our time doing that. Jesus is not going to do that with his. Jesus said that he's going to call them by name and that they're going to hear and respond. That even before they even recognized who owned them, that when they hear his voice, they're going to say, wait a second, that's the one I've been waiting on. Are you tracking with that? That, 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 that you, before you even knew you were owned by God, you were owned by God. He gathers them, not just by calling them out, but literally he gathers them with, with such a voice, such a distinction, and, and such a personal touch that they hear their names called. It's not just like he's saying, all right, bunch of sheep, come to Jesus, but literally he's calling those sheep by name. This is the personal 
love that God carries and has and possesses for each and every single one of you that he calls you by name to himself. In the same way that we see him calling forth Lazarus from the grave. Amen. He calls Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus, he calls him by name back into himself, back into life. And he is doing that throughout, throughout human history. He has been doing that. And he will continue to do that until all of his sheep are gathered into his fold and he returns. God's people respond to that voice, though. You see that? God's people responds to his voice. He says that he calls them by name and they hear his voice. They hear it. And then he goes even further in verse 5 and he says, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so here's what's being said here, is that when everything is all said and done, God's people will respond to God's gospel. Are you tracking with that? That there is a distinct tune to God's gospel, and God has set that tune for his people. And it is 100% guaranteed that every single one of them in which he has set aside, they will hear it and they will respond. It's not, it's not a matter of, okay, well, maybe, maybe that guy heard it, right? And maybe this guy heard it, but they're kind of doing their own thing and living their own lives, so... Maybe they heard and they just, it wasn't loud enough. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. When this thing is all said and done, those that heard it will be the ones that are gathered. You tracking with this? My sheep hear my voice. A stranger's voice they won't follow. And so, and so it's not like sheep will just kind of graze, right? They'll, 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 it's not, it, the text doesn't lend itself to this idea that sheep will say, all right, God, we heard you. We responded. Now we're going to follow strangers for the rest of our lives. That's not the way the text speaks, does it? The text speaks in such a way where it says that these sheep are going to follow him. Now, let's be clear. They're sheep, all right? So because they're sheep, the shepherd's going to have to have the rod every once in a while and say, come on this way. Nope, we're still going this way. Come on, come on this way, right? So the sheep are going to graze over this way. Oh, man, that's a fine man. No, 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 no. Come back, come back, come back, sister. Come back, right? You know, the sheep are going to graze. The sheep are going to graze every once in a while. They're going to graze into, into, into greed. They're going to they're gonna graze into, into lustful the, uh, thoughts and, and, and even actions, and, 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 and so they're going to be grazing, and God's going God's gonna, to, because, because they are called by him, and because they, they respond to his voice, he's going to say, nope, come back this way, and they're going to go his way. Is that, are you tracking with that? 
Because sometimes American Christianity gives you the impression that God's sheep are literally just running wild. That they heard his voice at some point when he was like seven. And then, and then after that, they didn't hear him anymore. They just ran wild. That's, that, that's not the way the Bible reads, folks. It reads in a particular way that says, listen, they will continue to go with God. Yeah, they're going to have moments. Yeah, they're going to have seasons. But they're going to be responding to him when it's all said and done. But not only is he, not only is he calling them and giving this sovereign call, not only is he owning them in terms of speaking directly and saying, these are mine, I'm walking with them, I'm, prote- I'm going to look after them, I'm coming down and I'm going to see to this myself, but he's also protecting them. Look at verse 4. It says when he was, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 4. It says when he was brought, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep will follow him for they know his voice. So it is Jesus that is the answer to the robbers and the thieves, right? He's the one, he's the one that they're walking with. He's the one that they're following. He's taking personal ownership of this matter. God coming down himself to take personal ownership of this matter. But he's also covering and protecting them every step of the way. You see, you see an example of this actually in the, in the story of the blind man in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, right? The blind man, remember we talked about him, he gets healed. And because he doesn't fit the agenda of the robbers and the thieves, otherwise known in that text as, the, as the, these particular Pharisees, then he gets what? He gets booted out of the synagogue, something that his own parents feared. And that's why they didn't want to say, hey, yeah, Jesus healed, healed our son. They kept that a secret because they didn't want to be the ones to say that and then get put out of the synagogue as well. But he says it, right? He's in wonder like we talked about. He doesn't care. He's in wonder and awe of what God has done. So he declares it. So what? Whatever consequences may come, I know what happened to me. I know what he did. And they say, we don't like that. Off you go. They kick him out. What happens? Remember what happens? We talked about it last week. Jesus goes and seeks after him. That's what shepherds do. That when their sheep are battered, right? When their sheep are wounded, when their sheep are hurt, when their sheep are exploited, when when their sheep are taken to the shed, so to speak, by robbers, thieves, wolves, the shepherd will not allow that to continue. The shepherd goes after the sheep, pulls them back in, seeks after the sheep, and defends the sheep, right? Because remember, in this moment, he's talking to the man. The man bows down in worship to God, worship to Jesus Christ. Pharisees are surrounded by him, right? And they say, hey, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on a second there, slick. Matter of fact, let's go to John chapter 9 real quick so we can look at that as we get ready to close. In verse 35, he says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He worshiped him. Remember, remember, the next time somebody says that Jesus never said that he was God, right? We've been talking about this, and I've been trying to, trying to just drop little nuggets like this because people are saying that a lot more, that Jesus never said he was God, okay? Remember that we walked through some text, John chapter 8, but also here, John chapter 9. If he wasn't God, 
He would not permit this man to worship him. Are you tracking? He permitted that man to worship him because he knew he was God. But he continues on and he says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who may see become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And that is when we go into chapter 10 and he begins to speak directly to the thieves and robbers. Why? Because he will not allow, he will not allow the thieves and robbers to exploit his sheep. But nowhere is this clearer. Nowhere is the ideal of the sheep going before or the shepherd going before the sheep, not allowing the sheep to go ahead, but going instead ahead of them. And nowhere is it clearer the sheep or the, the shepherd literally protecting them and defending them. Nowhere is it clearer than on the cross. Nowhere is it clearer than on the cross. The shepherd goes before the sheep on the cross. We, we should have hung on the cross. Our sin is what was being punished. God's holy standard of justice had been breached, not by his son, but by his sheep. Are you tracking with that? His sheep had wandered into the dangerous pastures, pastures on their own. And the shepherd could have said, I need to go find some more sheep, man. It's going to be a slaughter over there. That's what the, that's what the shepherd could have said. Because I ain't going over there, Right? Just going to have to find some more sheep. But, but instead, the shepherd, in saving the lives of all of the sheep that he has called to himself and that he has called by name, he then steps in front of them all and absorbs the danger, absorbs the punishment, absorbs the pain for their wandering. That pain was called the wrath of God turned towards sin. The Bible says, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, as in his second, well, we can talk about that, but his second letter that we have to the Corinthians, he says that he who knew no sin became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. In other words, he who was innocent took the punishment. He, he also says in that same epistle, that same letter, that, that though he was rich, he, he became poor. He took on the poverty of sin and suffering, so to speak. You tracking with that. Not himself being sinful, but the poverty that comes with bearing the weight of the punishment of sin. He became poor in order that we might become rich in his righteousness. He is the good shepherd because he defended the sheep with everything 
including his life. So as we, as we consider our own lives, um, as we consider our following of God, as we consider whether or not he's thinking of us, when the wolves of our lives are consuming or seemingly consuming us, never, never lose sight of the ultimate example he demonstrated that he is with you and he loves you. He laid it all down for you. He is a good shepherd. And he is leading us to the greenest pastures that we've ever known. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you so much for your goodness and mercy. We pray and we ask, Lord God, that you would help, help those who, Father, who wonder whether or not you, you are even thinking of them or whether or not you have any love for them. The broken, the wounded, those whose hope has been snatched from them due to the suffering of life. Father, help them see, Lord God, the weight of your love through the death of your son. Father, we thank you that we have a shepherd who is not like any other shepherd. We have a shepherd who will not exploit we have a shepherd who will not use. We have a shepherd who will feed us with the best of pastures. We have a shepherd that will lead us and guide us. And we have a shepherd that will defend us and even die for us. We thank you for our shepherd, Jesus. We thank you for our shepherd, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.